Our first scripture reading today is from the book of Exodus, starting in chapter 12, verses 31 through 42. And you can find that on page 54 of the Pew Bible or of the large print Bible, page 64. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from my people, both of you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. Their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to all the Lord to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from Isaiah chapter forty three verses one through seven, by the way you can find those on page fifty five in your Red Pew Bible or six hundred and three in your big print Bible. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Mm-hmm. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. 
and to the south. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, and I formed and made. This is the very word of God. Chapter 13 is where we'll camp out most of our time today, Um, but I I, uh, would like you to jump, if you would, to um, verse 17 of chapter 13 for our final passage. We've seen um, the, the amazing judgment that God poured out on Egypt, so much so that they were begging after nine plagues. Uh, they, where, where they refused to let God's people go. Now, not only Pharaoh, but, but the Egyptians are begging, are begging them to go and, and blessing them with, with, um, with value, with, with jewelry, with clothes, with everything they would need for, for this journey. Now we'll see, uh, as in the previous nine, um, uh, plagues that Pharaoh's heart will harden one more time. But wasn't it astounding? I love God's word that you can come back to it over and over again and always find something new. Wasn't it astounding to see Pharaoh said, I want you to go like you said. Did you hear that in that first scripture? I want you to go like you said you were going to do, right? And he said that twice. I want you to go as you said. And then did you hear that plaintive thing at the end of it? This is this is a dad who just lost his firstborn son. Apparently, Pharaoh wasn't a firstborn son himself, or he would be dead as well. But he had just lost his firstborn son, and he just says, almost as an add-on at the end of that phrase, and Moses, would you bless me also? Would you bless me also? A broken-hearted, broken for his son, broken for his country, was, was saying in a moment of weakness, a man who, who had projected himself as a living God was, was saying to Moses, Moses, bless me also. Let's pick up the story a little further along. There's some beautiful things that happen in between. I don't want to diminish them at all. But, but it's so beautiful to see how God prepared them to remember the Exodus by even as they were leaving, putting patterns in their lives that would help them remember. We're going to do the same thing here in a little while. We're going to remember what Christ did on the cross by this, by this um, ritual, the sacrament of Holy Communion. And so in between our passages, God was laying a foundation for the, how they could remember this journey. But I want you to pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 13, where, where we hear the story again now, not the ritual, but the story. When Pharaoh let the people go... God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Um, they estimate that. Now, it would have been very hard. Um, 600,000 fighting men meant probably 2 million people. And, and something else that you might not have caught that went by there very fast. And a mixed multitude in addition. In other words, not just Israelites left Egypt. Some of the Egyptians, some of the other slaves from other countries, some of them said, yes, 
I don't understand this God, but I'm going to trust this God. And they left with them. So greater than two million people are going to make their way toward the promised land. And there is a route that, that I can't account for two million people, but that you or I could have done in two days. In two days. But God did not allow them to take that route. As we pick up the story again in verse, uh, verse 18 or verse 17, lest God said the people change their minds when they see war. Now not with the Egyptians, but with the Philistines who lived in the land. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. This is 400 years before. God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you. Um, Joseph knew that they would return to the promised land. And he said, take my bones with you. And they moved on as... as um, as we heard just a moment ago in the, in the scripture, they moved from, from Ramses to Succoth, and now they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the very edge of the wilderness. This is the point of no return. Here is the fertile Nile Valley behind you. All the provisions you could need, you can pluck them from the trees, right? Here is nothing but wilderness. You're thinking, what am I doing? Some of you may be on one of those, one of those transitions right now. I know we are. As a congregation, right? We're sitting there. We, this is all we've known. It's been very fruitful. God has blessed us here. I've got the baby crying. The reason I didn't yell at the baby crying is because my baby crying over there. My grandson over there crying. Um, but, but my children were baptized here. My, my children were married here. This is the land of fruitfulness. And we stand on the edge of that and say, we're going to go to something that's unknown. We're going to go to a strange neighborhood, to a strange building, to, to a, just a, a, a whole different place. It looks like a wilderness. But what, what my goal today is, is for you to understand that when God is with you, everything is a fruitful land. Does that make sense? It's not the land that makes it fruitful. It's God and our trust and our obedience. Fitz and Olivia, you're heading out in two weeks, right? For Colorado, now, now that's not exactly wilderness, but well, it's a different kind of wilderness. All of us would go, can take me with you, would you? But, but it is a wilderness in a sense. It's far from family. It's, it's, it's a new work that God is inviting you to. You stand on the very edge of that threshold. You're probably a little overwhelmed right now like Bill and Kathy with the move. But, but you stand on the threshold. Some of you, it might not be a physical transition like Bill or Kathy or like us or like Fitz and Olivia. It might be an emotional one like Janie. I mean, it's a new wilderness for me. The first time being without my spouse or, or for many of you had to entrust your children and let them go. And, and, and it's a new season for you. And, and, and you're saying, what will this like? God, God who has blessed me here, will you be there? Will you be there in the wilderness for me as well? And, and, and together, we're going to make this transition. Together, we're going to follow the people of God as they move toward this new land. Final verses 21 and following. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud 
to lead them along the way. These words are going by fast. Let me say them again. And the Lord went before them. Isn't that comforting? The Lord went before them, right? In a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The very word of God. Wow. Wow. Did not depart for 40 years. For 40 years, the pillar of fire led them in the wilderness. For 40 years, God revealed everything that they would need, gave them everything that they would need. Pray with me, would you? God, we stand on the threshold between what is familiar and what is comfortable and, and also, God, what is strange and seemingly barren. We don't have relationships there. We don't have our physical needs. We can't see how you're going to provide. God, I thank you that you're faithful. You never abandon your children. God, whether it's a, a physical journey like many in our midst are taking or an emotional journey like many in our midst are experiencing, or Father, even a spiritual one like many in our midst are taking. God, I thank you that, that your grace is sufficient for us and, and your power is perfected in our weakness. So God, I invite you to glorify yourself. Open our hearts to your word, would you? Meet us in this place and God, we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, wow. What, what do we need to know as we begin this journey together, right? I want to just suggest to you there's a couple of profound principles that transcend the time from, from our study of the call of God in Moses and, and his intent to, to set free the people who had cried out to him. There's two profound principles that will help guide us on this journey. You remember that God heard the cries of his people who were suffering. He strategically moved to deliver them. He prepared a deliverer, Moses, right? Who who had to take his own 40-year journey of learning to trust God himself. And then even when God invited him to to embrace his call on his life, Moses Moses just could not comprehend that God would send him back, do you remember, to the very point of his sin, to the very point of his disappointment, that God would send him back to that place of hurt. But we, we pick up the story now after God has proven true, after he has done exactly what he said he would do through Moses, after nine times when Moses comes and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh initially starts to do it, and then he hardens his heart. After nine judgments culminating in the loss of the firstborn sons of everyone, we saw this last Wednesday night, everyone in Egypt who did not believe what God said and did not put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost. Those who did, the angel of death passed over. Those who did not Israeli, Egyptian, slave, or free, suffered the loss. Why? Because God had suffered the loss of his firstborn for 400 years. Israel is my firstborn, God had said. 
And Pharaoh had abused God's firstborn. At any point, Pharaoh could have turned. But he chose not to. So can you imagine what it was like that night? I, I say I can't imagine, but, but even as I was thinking about it this morning, I had a pretty recent experience of that, right? Can you imagine? Not just Pharaoh heard God's challenge. Not just Pharaoh. The, his whole court, and, and it, his court was probably like our culture right now. If you say something in the court of Pharaoh, it's all over Egypt, right? In the next couple of hours. And, and people said, there's going to be a tenth judgment. And it's going to be a judgment on the firstborn. Can you imagine that night? I'm feeling it right now. What what the people must have experienced, right? Maybe the reason I'm feeling it right now is because as we waited for, she wasn't, it didn't end up being our firstborn, our secondborn, because that little runt over there snuck in a month and a half early and and beat her to being the firstborn. But when we were in the hospital with with Chelsea and Jordan and, and Naomi and, and, and just so much anticipation. We had seen God's faithfulness in Judah just two weeks before, right? Just two weeks before. And, and, now, and now we are we are anticipating the arrival of, of our first granddaughter. And then that alarm goes off, as I shared with you. The, there's a code going on and this code that's happening in that room. And I got three loved ones in that room. And I don't know what's happening. Can you imagine the parents of their firstborn in Egypt going and saying, I don't know whether this happened. And they peer into the room, right? They peer into the room. We tried to peer into the room and they wouldn't let us, right? They peer into the room. Is he alive? Is he alive? We didn't know who coded him. We didn't know it was Jordan. We didn't know if it was Chelsea. We didn't know if it was the baby. We didn't know who coded. But, but, but I feel it again right now, that anticipation Can you imagine what the nation had gone through? What the people of God had gone through at that time? What was it? What was it that's going to sustain us in those moments when we don't know, when all of our fears are at our doorstep, when we're not sure what the future holds? What is it that's going to sustain us? Let me just suggest that these are the two guiding principles that we're going to use over the next six weeks to to help us understand. First, God is the healer. Amen? God is the giver of miracles. Amen? And He gives them to us in the moment. I didn't need a miracle that of a 30-year thing in a hospital in West Lafayette, right? I needed a miracle in the moment. And, and God is a God of miracles in the moment. And if you're at one of those moments right now, you worship a God who is able. He is able to deliver. They had been delivered from the angel of death and you have a God who's able to deliver you as well. He's a God who does miracles, a giver of miracles of the moment. But but here's what I want you to understand. Uh, It seems so, so anticlimactic. To say it after God is the giver of miracles of the moment. But some of the miracles that he does are not over a moment. They're over a movement. They're over a movement. Fitz and Olivia, you're going you're gonna, to, and you have had, isn't it awesome when someone comes to Christ? When you have the chance to, to lead someone from death to life into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And, and Lord willing, that's going to happen your entire lives. And, and we will rejoice with you. And, and, and it's those, it's those um, new babies, baby Christians, that, that bring vitality and life back to us. 
God is, God is the giver of those kinds of miracles, but he's also a giver of movements, whereby now no longer is it you that shares Christ with, with one of these college students. It's not one, you who on a mountainside somewhere in the Rockies um, have, have the privilege of witnessing someone coming to a personal relationship with the living God. Now you, because of investing in those people, have, have joined a movement of people that are doing that. And stuff happens all over the world that you had no personal involvement with. The same God who was with you on that mountainside, the same God that was with you as you held that student's hand, the same God who helped deliver one person from bondage is now delivering thousands, two million plus from bondage here. Some of you might be stumbling with that number, don't. Um, I just did a little bit of math because it seems so astounding to me that in 400 years, 70 people could grow to be over 2 million. But that would just be a 2.2% increase a year. If I did my math right, all the engineers are in their minds going figuring this out right here. If I did my math right, that would be a 2.2% increase a year. Oh my goodness. I, I have learned to trust God's Word. When He said 600,000 men of fighting age were delivered, I believe Him. God did a miracle there. And it wasn't just a miracle of the moment. It was a miracle of a movement. And beloved, though we need, we need miracles of the moment. Many of us need them, right? This, this day, God is also inviting us into the miracle of His movement. We are joining with Him. Not just physical movement from one place to another. But joining a movement of people we're passionate about Jesus Christ. We're growing a movement of people who are passionate about making disciples who make disciples. And at some point, it's going to move far beyond what we could ever, ever conceive. It's happening. It's happening. Kyle and I are going to be going down to Florida um, with some college students, about 25 college students next week, to witness where one of those movements is happening right here in the United States to see what happens when, when we release our control of things and, and, and ask God to prove himself glorious in people's lives. God is a deliverer. He is a giver of miracles, both of the moment and of the movement. So what are the takeaways for us as we begin this journey with the people of God? I really want to invite you to drink deep of their story in, in Exodus over the coming six weeks. What, 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 are, what are some starting points for us? First of all, their journey is our journey, right? God is still in the business of delivering people. Their journey is our journey. Their journey was from Israel, uh, to, to Israel, from Egypt, to the promised land, from enslavement. It's ultimately a picture of God delivering us from death to life, from our former destiny to our new destiny, to our new eternal home. And as we've seen before, last year as we studied this process together, it, it happens in three phases. The, when you trust in Jesus, there's this initial phase where you are completely, immediately, and permanently delivered from the penalty of sin. Hallelujah, right? Hallelujah. 
The first phase, when you trust in Jesus, you are delivered from the penalty of sin. How, how can I say that? Because Jesus took the penalty of sin on Himself. He took it on Himself. The suffering that we will see as we walk with Jesus during these 40 days is what delivers us from that penalty of sin. And so we have a new position. We're no longer judged, right? We have a new status. We are children of God. We have a new identity. We have been delivered. Their journey is also going to be our journey, right? But there's another phase, and this is, this is where a lot of us stumble. This is where a lot of us run aground. We're going to see the people of Israel struggle as well. There's a second phase where we're slowly, progressively delivered from the power of sin. Because sin is still very real in our culture, right? There's, we might be delivered from the penalty of it, but, but it's very real around us. And, and I'm going to hang myself out here, but, but it's very real still in us, Right? Remember Paul in, in Romans chapter 7? Paul says, the things that I want... This is Paul. This is capital A, Apostle Paul, right? And he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do, I don't want to do, I end up doing, right? Who will save me from this body of death, right? And praise God. The Holy Spirit prompted him in that moment and said, praise be to God. For Jesus Christ, that's what Jesus Christ has done. So in the second phase, we're progressively delivered from the power of sin. As we learn to walk in the power of God's presence. As we become more and more like His Son, Jesus, for the rest of our life. So we get a new power now. We get this amazing privilege. I know it's not a, a culturally appropriate word right now, but it's a privilege. <laughs> Kristen, um, if you if you say thank you to Kristen, I don't know. Did you used to like work for uh, Chick Fil A or something? <laughs> you know, I'd like to. <laughs> um, if you say thank you to Kristen, she says my privilege, my privilege, right? And there's no, there's no. Um, that's not because she's trained to say that. That's because she's learned the privilege of being freed from the power of sin to serve, to love other people. And, and so I know there's a lot of cultural stuff about privilege, but God has given you a privilege that transcends gender, that transcends color of your skin, that transcends race or religion or any of those other things. He has given you the privilege of knowing him personally through Jesus Christ and being delivered from the power of sin. But, but praise God, there's one more phase coming. We're not there yet. There's one more phase coming we saw many months ago now. You will eventually... And permanently, once for all, be delivered from the very presence of sin. From the very presence of it, right? Your heart will no longer break with the brokenness of, of the sin around you, right? Because it won't be there. There will be a time when we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. And you'll have a new place. Oh, I'd love to just take a... Um, a sidebar right here and talk about that process. It was so fresh in my mind because of, of uh, Dennis's funeral yesterday, this process of how that's going to happen. But trust me right now, there will be this new place where there will be no sin, where there will be no tear, where there will be no sorrow, where there will be no death, right? So all through that journey, one simple thing to remember, no matter what, through all the ups and downs, the highs and the lows, through this roller coaster 
that we call life, one thing never changes. And I want you to get this today. God's presence is constant. His presence is constant. Oh, it always was. Do you remember when we, when we opened uh, Hosea chapter 11, right? And heard him speak to his people. I'm going to have to do it. I'm sorry. Uh, he was speaking to his people. And then I invited you to, to think about it now in first person terms instead of second, uh, second person terms. I invited you to hear the very word of God sp- spoken to you. And I translated it something like this. This is Hosea 11. When, when you were a child, I loved you, right? I loved you. And from distant places, from Egypt, I called you, my child. But the more I called to you, the more you went away. You kept worshiping those false gods. You kept offering yourself to idols. But it was I who taught you to walk. Do you notice how the little monster um, pops up now? I mean, every day is a new adventure with an with a eight-month-old, right? And, and he's getting very close to walk. And you hold his hand and he stands up. And he tries to do it. And God says, when you were in that place, that was me who taught you to walk. I took you by the hands. This is God speaking to you, right? I led you with bonds, yes, but they were cords of kindness. They were bonds of love. I became to you as one who eases the yoke on your jaw. I bent down to you and fed you. Oh, how can I give you up, my child? How can I hand you over? My heart recoils within me. The living God says, my compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not destroy you. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. That's God's love for you, right? He was always there. We just didn't see Him. We just didn't know it. But now... Something has changed. Now, as they stepped out in faith, they put the blood on the doors, they stepped out in faith, they crossed that boundary from the Nile into the wilderness, right? God's presence was manifest. The living God was made manifest in front of them in the form by day of a pillar of cloud and at night by this pillar of fire. And most of us are having flashbacks to bad movies, aren't we, right about now? Um, that'll happen many times in this series. But what was that all about? What was that all about? God's presence was made manifest in front of us so that He could lead us. God leads us. He, he shows us the way, right? And, and, and we'll see this in the story, but, but when they would stop for the night, once they built Him a tabernacle, a place, a tent for Him to dwell in, right? Then when they stopped for the night, that that pillar of fire would come over and cover that tabernacle. And when you're too tired to go on, and and your spirit just says, I can't do this any longer. I can't move on. God covers us, right? And protects us. They, They use slightly different imagery in other parts of the Bible. Under his wings, I find shelter, right? He covers us and provides for us. So God's presence is constant. He leads us and He protects us. But, but we have something that, that they never had. We have yet one more dimension of God's love because we live post-Jesus. 
We have one more thing that they never had. He not only leads us, he not only protects us, but he lives in us, right? He lives in us. Part of the symbolism of communion is that when we partake of the body of Christ, Christ is in us even as we symbolically are in him. That wasn't true for them. He was, all, he was always the separate entity, right? But through Jesus Christ, now God's presence is in us. We have become that tabernacle. We have become that temple. And he loves to live in us, right? So what do we do? What do we do as we begin this journey together? What are our next steps? Let's live in that presence. We sang about it. Thank you so much, worship team, for, the, for leading us into the presence of God. But we sang about it. But let's live into this presence of God within us and around us and before us, right? And let's follow His lead. Let's follow His lead. Now, there's going to be times when you're not sure. There's going to be times when you're thinking, I don't know what those elders are doing, you know, but, but they're, they're taking us on a bunny trail here, Right? I know that you felt that sometimes about, about me. But as you pray for me, as you pray for our elders, as, as you say, God, I'm going to trust that just like you let Moses, even when the people didn't want to go, just like you let Jesus, even when the people did not want to go, I'm going to trust God that if we pray, that you will make your presence manifest in our leadership. And we will step across that boundary, as frightening as that is, and step into God's perfect future for us. Now, will everybody else be doing the same thing? No, I don't think so. It's very comfortable just playing church in North America. It's very comfortable. But we don't want to play church. We want to, we want to be the presence of the kingdom of God in a world that desperately needs to see it. We want to follow God wherever he leads So when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life and you can ask Him, fill me, Holy Spirit. Lead me, Holy Spirit. Guide me, Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God in you. So when God calls us to a journey of walking and step with Him, follow His lead. He's faithful, amen? When we face scary obstacles, when we face setbacks and delays and detours, and they will come. Because we're human, right? Follow His lead. Because God is faithful. Amen? You can say amen. That's all right. When we've blown it and we've fallen, right? I love Proverbs 24, 16. The righteous one falls seven times. You're not unrighteous if you fall, right? You're unrighteous if you refuse to get back up. Right? The difference between the righteous and the wicked is getting back up again. When we've blown it, when we follow, get back up and follow His lead because God is faithful. Amen? When we think we've run out of resources, when we're in a desperate position, follow His lead. God is faithful. Amen? When we face new opportunities, right? We're not sure we're up to it. Follow His lead. God is faithful. Amen? Oh my goodness. Pray with me, would you? Oh, God, it, I, I, I was going to say it's so hard to be at this point, but, but God, we've been on this journey from the very beginning until now. We have, 
God, been at this place where we've had to trust you moment by moment. I'm so grateful, God, for, for the saints 120 years ago who risked stepping across a boundary and, and planted, a, a, planted a Sunday school eight blocks away. God, you moved this church eight blocks and, and lives were never the same. God, you did it again. Later, you moved us six blocks over to Walnut Avenue, God. And you built a, a, mark, a landmark that is there to this day. God, you did it again. How many of you? Fifty years ago, God, you, you moved us here and, 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 and established us as families here. God, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And God, we just invite you, prove yourself glorious. Give us the miracles of the moment. I'm going to ask you to do that right here, God. I ask you to miraculously take this simple bread and, and make it the body of the Lord Jesus. Not physically, God, but spiritually fill it with your presence so that as we take it by faith, we will be taking you, Jesus. Take the simple juice the simple grape juice, God, and, and make it the sacrament of the Lord's blood. So that, so that as we confess our sins, God, we'll be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. So that by faith, drinking of this cup today would be like putting that mark over the doorposts of our hearts. And, and God, we'll be delivered from death and delivered to the life that you've set before. Oh God, meet us at this table today. And God, we will give you the praise and the glory in Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our servers, please come forward. Again, today we have this amazing privilege of, of sharing in this sacrament of the Lord's Supper. This, I would like to say this goes all the way back. Um, and you can have a seat as soon as you're up here. Um, this, I'd like to say this goes all the way back to 2,000 years to the time of Jesus. But this actually goes back much further. This goes back to the passage that we just studied today. This goes back to however we understand it. It's 1,700 years before the time of Christ when God said, I want you to remember my deliverance. And just as those people in the Passover meal remembered the deliverance from Egypt, so in the Lord's Supper we remember our deliverance from sin and from bondage. In this sacrament we remember that we have been made free. So I invite you by faith, drink deep of the juice. Drink, eat well of the bread. Experience the presence of God here in these elements today. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, I'm smiling because I just had this privilege of doing this last evening up in Washington, Indiana with 120 um, high school kids and staff screaming around and and, and about, about 30 or 40 parents desperate for God to move in their children's lives who, who were risking believing with them. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, right? 
we're going to see God covenant marry his people on Mount Sinai. But, but God took it another step in Jesus. Now our Savior lives with us. Now our, his spirit is in us. This is the new covenant in my blood. I'll give you a new heart if you'll trust me, if you'll believe me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, the Apostle Paul tells us, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, I invite you, take the bread and hold it. When your heart is ready, not perfect, when, you're, when you have just recognized that apart from Christ, um, there's no possibility for, for you to be sinless, but in Christ you are made righteous. When you are ready, partake of that bread. Then when the cup comes, if you would hold that cup and we'll partake of it together as a symbol of our unity in Christ. The Lord be with you.